We explained third-party agreements on the Splash today following the latest salary scandal and also try to make more sense of cutting weight before a big fight. It's Wednesday, the 13th of December. Yeah, TPAs, third-party agreements, TPAs as they're called later on the splash, we will chat to uh, Fox League digital lead Ben Glover just to explain to rugby league fans and fans in general exactly what TPAs are, how they work, and everything regarding uh, TPAs. It will make for educational listening, that is for sure. Of course, the third Ashes test gets underway in Perth tomorrow, uh, and Steve Smith has held his usual day-before-presser where he normally uh, announces his final 11 ahead of a test. He's decided not to do that on this occasion. Of course, plenty of scrutiny surrounding the selection dilemma involving Peter Hanscom and Mitch Marsh. Steve Smith has told the media he is going to wait until he has a look at the wicket on Thursday, on game day, until announcing that final 11 for a full preview of the third Ashes test. Head to the Cricket Fox Cricket podcast where Tom Morris chats to Brett Jeeves and also Damian Fleming, who provides plenty of bowling insight and exactly what the English are getting wrong. Uh, it's a really strong pod. Uh, I'd recommend going and checking it out. And as I mentioned, uh, in a moment, we're going to talk NRL. We're going to talk third-party agreements. But before we dive into that, I think we should talk about weight cutting in boxing. Uh, It's a story that we're running on the website today at foxsports.com.au. It's been spoken about uh, all through the media circles in the build-up to the Jeff Horn Gary Corcoran fight uh, uh, this evening in Brisbane. And firstly, here's what uh, Fox Sports News journalist Cody Kay had to say on the matter today on Fox Sports News 500. He's probably very hangry as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dropping four kilos. Yeah. Of the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be fairly ticked off as well. <laughs> but just on that briefly, mate, uh, particularly later in the rounds, if the waste has been that severe, and we know that can yeah. catch up with you at the latter end of a fight. It's doubly important for him to really do a job early because if it goes the longer, we know that that's going to put him in some trouble. No doubt about it. I mean, the, the amazing thing about Horn, and, and it's the advantage of youth as well, um, is that he can go to the well and there's still a fair bit there. But the longer you do it, the less there is. Um, so if, you, if it starts to go into the later rounds, like we're talking 10, 11, 12, the championship rounds, um, that weight cut can come back to haunt him for sure. It didn't against Manny Pacquiao. In fact, he was just about gone in that ninth round and somehow found some kind of reserve that nobody, I don't even know if he knew he had it, um, to come back really strong in the 10th and win the fight from there on. I don't know how many times you can do that in your career. You can't keep doing it. Um, So yeah, you're absolutely right. Jeff needs to get it done early. I mean, he certainly is fit enough and strong enough to go the distance, um, but I would imagine that he's planning on an early night. So I've got Max Lawton on the line, one of our journos uh, based down in Melbourne who... Uh, compiled the story that is on the Fox Sports website, which I would encourage everyone to go and check out. Welcome to the Splash, Max. Phil, thank you. Always lovely to be on. And uh, I I would like to to start um, this little chat uh, firstly with 
uh, just a bit of overview from from yourself about uh, a little bit of the research that you did for this story in terms of um, examples of uh, of cutting weight and how tough it in in fact can be because Jeff Horn obviously uh, you know got under uh, the prescribed weight by the slimmest of margins um, yeah. and and it, and it is a really complicated procedure in terms of the overall health of, of athletes. Yeah, it's it's really crazy looking into the detail. So you, I had a good look around and uh, saw what some people have said about this over the last few years because weight cutting has been a thing in combat sports for a good 20, 30 years. And what we saw with Horn when he weighed in for his fight yesterday was that he was 16 grams below the weight limit at 66.52 kilograms. He lost four and a bit kilos just in the last 24 hours. Sounds crazy. And it's ridiculous how much, and a lot of that is water weight, as you'd expect. Uh, Fighters will spend a lot of time in the sauna in the last 24 hours before a fight. But from what I found, a lot of it starts even earlier than that. They're limiting their their carbs, their salts really early on because that can find uh, fighters a lot of early, easy weight loss. But then it becomes harder for them to sweat it out later. And that's about three weeks out. They're, yeah, they're reducing yeah. carbs and salt three weeks out, so that's a that's a big chunk of time heading into a fight. Well, and they're going into camps even earlier than that, so this deep into the process, you'd think they'd be up on their cardio, and it's about getting the actual weight down, because so many fighters, almost unanimously, they have their walk-around weight, which will be potentially 10, 15 kilos above what they end up fighting at. <sighs> And they want to get down to the lowest weight division possible to have the easiest possible fight. Because once you do weigh in, you gain that weight back so quickly. Mm. Uh, there was a UFC fighter in 2015, uh, Antonio Carlos Jr. He weighed in 185 pounds, 84 kilos or so for a fight. He gained 12 kilos back in the day before the fight. Oh. And he just crushed his opponent who was at a normal weight of 185 pounds. So you see the difference it can possibly have in terms of size. I can vouch for that. I, I broke my jaw playing uh, rugby about uh, almost 10 years ago and had my mouth wired shut for about uh, a month. And mm. I, yeah, I, you lose your appetite. I was out of a straw. So I literally lost 10 to 15 kilos in that time. And Went back to uni and everyone was like, "Man, what a what a great diet that is!" But I literally put that weight back on in about a week, <laughs> and I was yes. back to square one. It's crazy. Um, how hard is it for for athletes to cut weight? Because it's obviously incredibly tough for these uh, combat fighting athletes to um, prepare physically for a major fight. Um, and look. Uh, There's all the motivation in the world when you consider how much money and fame and fortune Mm. can be made by by claiming victory in some of these larger fights, but it's tough to get um, yourself in physical condition, peak physical condition for a fight, but then you throw in the weight cutting aspect of it as well. Uh, Just how tough is it? Well, it's clearly very difficult on the body. Uh, Physically, these guys, and and the women as well, who do find it a bit more difficult, I believe, because of estrogen, uh, they they all cop it a lot. And in a way, it's almost a problem that it's too easy to get down as little weight as these guys get to. So uh, when you look at... You lose about 30% of your performance just from being dehydrated 3%. And that's pretty common when you're doing that. So you have fighters like uh, Jim Miller, who's a UFC fighter, for example, 
he hadn't fought in months, but he was peeing out blood and he had kidney stones, he'd had kidney failure. He still fights, but this is how much damage these guys are doing to their bodies mm. by this weight cutting. It, it is so unhealthy for you. And also the rehydration process can be really unhealthy for you. You can have situations where you get your body putting too much water back into your cells as you do fill back up. Uh, a lot of fighters used to use IVs, drips, literally just hooking into their veins, putting the water back in there. That's now illegal in UFC at least. Wow. But if you get too much, you can have uh, problems in, in your brain and the arteries and cells burst and you can die. There have been fighters dying of heart attacks and all these different things as complications from extreme weight loss in these short periods of time. Whether or not you know these specifics, I'm not sure, be be honest. But do you know uh, how, much, how much fluid uh, these guys will... Um, will not put in their body, if you know what I'm saying. Like, how, how many yeah. day, days before a weigh-in will they literally just kind of stop drinking water? I think it's usually in around the last 24 hours they go to the really extreme not uh, consuming liquids level because that's the time you're able to sweat it out and have mm. that water loss. Uh, and I and, believe there was... And a, food? A star- Fo- yeah, the starvation yeah. aspect? Well, the starvation is, is is a sort of general flow process. You start a few weeks out, the three mm-hmm. weeks out that we mentioned before, and then I assume you wouldn't be eating anything in that last 24 hours as well. And what some studies have found that uh, around 30 to 35% of all fighters in this UFC study were dehydrated once they did get into the cage. Wow. Yeah, it's not, not surprising. I suppose we could... Uh, we could also speak to any number of horse racing jockeys about this exact issue yeah, as yeah. well. Uh, it's yeah, not absolutely. it's not just in combat sports. Um, it's a it's a big issue. Yeah, there are some uh, some heavy sacrifices uh, that plenty of athletes need to make uh, across all sports to uh, just to to perform it at the uh, at the elite level. Uh, any any yeah. anything we yeah. should add, Max? No, it's, it's, it's just that point where it's hard for organizations to do anything about this. There are some smaller fighting groups that I know of that have tried to completely restrict this, completely restrict weight cutting and said, you have your normal weight that you live at every day. If you're not training for a fight, you have to fight in that weight class. You cannot mm. go down. But if you're a company, if you're WBO, who uh, has the title that uh, Jeff Horn has, if you're UFC, the financial and just invasive impact of doing that sort of policy would be so difficult yeah. and so many fighters would yeah. not be willing to do it that it makes it tough to do but really for the health of these fighters they need to look at it yeah i mean yeah you're talking about one set of complications versus another set of complications so mm. there's no easy answer here that's for sure absolutely uh max lawton thank you very much for joining the splash today cheers Phil. And finally, just on the Jeff Horn, Gary Corcoran fight this evening, Fox Sports is live streaming three fights of the undercard, uh, including Alex Leopay's return to the ring. Head to the Fox Sports website for all of that. And of course, uh, the main event is on main event. Uh, All the details you can find on the website there as well. Uh, But as I teased off the top... We're going to try and explain exactly what third-party agreements are in rugby league in the NRL. Uh, And to do that, I'm joined by uh, rugby league uh, digital lead of the rugby league team, Ben Glover. Welcome. Hey, hey Phil. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Uh, So, TPAs, uh, as they're 
also known these third party agreements. Yep. You've you've spent really the last couple of days uh, here um, at Fox Sports HQ digging right into that as a as a topic. Uh, yep. Around everything NRL related, and and that starts. We, we will def- define what they are and and dig into that a little bit as well. But uh, this was uh, sort of triggered by recent news involving uh, the Manly Seagulls. Uh, you know, uh, breach the breach notices. I should say over the uh, they've been found of breaching the cap over the last five years can um, maybe we should start by explaining exactly what they were uh, found of doing yeah so at this stage uh, it's not super heavy on detail but basically um, it looks like four to five hundred thousand dollars of um, of funds that were given to players or promised to players um, by the club um, when they were signing these players um but rather than paying them directly, the club, um, that money has been paid by or has been arranged to be paid by third-party sponsors, which yeah. you're not allowed to do. The club's not allowed to be involved directly in um, in sort of finding third-party agreements for yeah. players. Yeah. So, so that's what what's happened that's that's where Manly's gone wrong. Hence the name third-party. So it does have to be sort of arranged externally um and yeah that's where we sort of we we come to to the the crux what is a a third party agreement um and how are clubs sort of utilizing tpas uh in order to um stay salary cap compliant uh and and obviously uh land players for what might be considered less value than their their worth on the open market yeah so effectively a third party agreement is is an agreement between a corporate so someone in business or a business um and a player yeah so and and those agreements have to be struck completely separately from the nrl club that that player plays for and and the corporate can also not be tied to the club already so they can't be an existing club sponsor yeah okay they've just got to be completely independent of the club and basically the way it's meant to happen um is the player goes to the corporate or the corporate goes to the player and says um i'm prepared to sponsor you individually um for say 50 grand a year um while you're at manly so it's someone who's potentially um part of the manly business community or the or the bronco brisbane business community might get involved with brisbane players etc and it, the way that it's set up it's meant to be for corporates to to help boost their business and so in return for that they um these players get paid so the players might turn up to a corporate function or whatever yeah yeah but um they're not allowed to like when those corporates are I say putting one of those players in an ad or in, in in like a something that might go on a wall or something like that. The player can't be um, in club gear or anything like that. So it's got to be completely separate. Yeah. Right. Okay. And realistically, uh, how much a uh, uh, how how common are third party agreements? Uh, how much would each uh, club uh, in terms of the players on their roster be utilising uh, TPAs? Well, there's some clubs that wouldn't have any at all. Yeah. And then there's some clubs that um, that have 
that might have four or five players with third party agreements and mm. and those agreements might run into the into seven figures they might they yeah. might there's a club there's at least one club out there which probably has more than a million dollars worth of third party agreements yeah, um, wow. Can you name that club or or, or should we keep I'll probably keep <laughs> keep the names out of it at this stage, but um but yeah, so that that obviously creates a huge disparity in in terms of there might there's one club that next year potentially is spending 11 or 12 million dollars on players and every and there's some clubs that are bound by the 9.4 million dollar salary cap. So, mm. it does create this huge gulf. In, yeah. in what the clubs are, are paying their players. And it kind of uh, tilts the balance a bit that the salary cap is meant to create. An obvious example of um, of where it, it, uh, a TPA went wrong a couple of weeks ago was James Maloney, who uh, wrongly came out and admitted before he could confirm uh, joining the Panthers. He, uh, the club had to sort out a TPA and, of course, that uh, then the, the red alert uh, the the yeah. lights went off. Yeah, of course, because then you're you're saying that the club's looking after some, in some way, getting the third party uh, agreement organised, which, yeah. which yeah. isn't allowed. So, but what happens in a lot of cases? Um, yeah, yeah. And How the, are these deals actually? And this struck? is and this is what I have discovered over time and talking to people is that, so say there's a sponsor might get in touch with a a CEO of a club or a chairman, a director, something like that, and he'll go, look, I'd I'd really love to get on board. I I, I want to help. You, you guys are important to the community. I want to um, sort some kind of sponsorship out. And the, the club might go to him, well, hang on. Um, we're, we're in the process now of signing Player X, who, who's a star, a big name, Um Hang, hold tight for a minute, hang fire, and um, don't sponsor the club. But um, but when the negotiations are going, you can go to the player and say, "Look, I'll I'll sponsor you if you come to the club." Mm. Um, so that happens, like that that happens, yeah. and that's yeah. that's legal. But it's kind of it's also kind of a loophole. So um, basically, cl- there's no doubt that clubs are involved in um, in getting TPAs for players. But they've just got to be good at wiping their hands clean on yeah, it. Yeah, there's a line there mm-hmm. and some players, some clubs are right on the line, yeah. which is legal. And then there's some, in the case of Parramatta last year, in the case of the Manly Breaches, they've stepped over the line. Yeah. But it is quite murky. Oh, yeah, for sure. And one club that often gets dragged in, into this is, uh, is the Roosters. Yep. Um, they've obviously got... Nick Politis on hand, who has uh, strong connections to the corporate world, that gives that club a big leg up on um, on being able to secure TPAs, right? Well, that's the perception. That's yeah. the perception among fans that because um, Uncle Nick's uh, <laughs> there at the Roosters, he he sorts players out with with TPAs and stuff like that. But the reality is a bit different. The the Roosters are actually um, they've managed their cap recently really well yeah. they've valued players um really well yeah yeah and so that's like but blake ferguson on his latest con- contract this is a new a current new south wales player last mm. last year at the four nations he was the best player at the four nations well he, the he got re-signed at the back end of this season on a contract 
for less money than what he was on before because his form had been inconsistent in 2017. He got the he got the um, it was obviously in the headlines for the, the wrong reasons for mm. the New South Wales stuff with Josh Dugan. Yeah, um, and so the Roosters are, with Politis are strong enough to say, okay, you're a star, but um, you're not playing well, so your contract value's gone backwards, and, yeah. and then yeah. and then still secure that player, and and. So, the, they've really only got one contract at the moment that you'd look at and go, well, they've overvalued that player, and that's Jadon Ikarima. Yeah. And so, yeah. Um, that has been a big help when it come, the salary cap's gone up, and all of a sudden they've gone, okay, well, we can keep a lot of the players that we've got. We've also got money for Kronk and Tedesco. Now... Um, so the Roosters are actually at the lower end of um, of clubs that have TPAs. Mm. That's not to say that they're not capable of getting TPAs. And and having Nick Politis as the chairman of the club means that there's um, he he knows a lot of big hitters in the Sydney business community yep. and big hitters that would like to support him and the Roosters. Mm. They'll know how this all works. Or, or yeah, yeah. Anyone who's ever been involved in sponsoring a club will know how the TPA system works. So when they hear rumblings that Cooper Cronk's coming to the Roosters or, or negotiating with the Roosters, well, they might get on the phone to Cooper Cronk's management and say, mm. hang on, we'd like to be a, be a part of that. In the article that you've got on the Fox Sports website today, uh, you also um, drew attention to the fact that the Players Association would like to step in and um, and have this situation somewhat resolved. Yep. So the Players Association came out um, with a statement um, yesterday to say that sort of flagged that they'd spoken to the NRL in the wake of uh, the Manly salary cap breach, and and sort of that they have a desire to clean up um, third party agreements. Now, what that actually looks—it's pretty light on detail at the moment. How yeah. they're going to do that? So, yeah. uh, what that actually means at the end of the day, we, no one knows except, I guess, the the players' association themselves in terms of what they've actually got in mind for cleaning it up. But at the moment, it's damaging to the game whenever there's a yeah. there's stories about salary cap rorts. So, um, you could see why they'd want it cleaned up, but. They're also, they also have the players' best interests at heart, so they're not going to want TPAs to go away altogether because that that boosts the players' income. So yeah, how it ends up looking, who knows? In American sports, of course, uh, like the NFL and the NBA, uh, players' uh, salaries are made public. That's obviously not the case over here in Australia. If that was the case, though, would that make this no. TPA sit- situation even sort of murky? Yeah, I don't. I don't think that'd help. Yeah, not not this situation anyway. That is kind of a separate argument because the um, like all, the NRL knows everyone's salaries because yeah, yeah. their salaries yeah. get lodged, and it's really only the NRL that needs to needs to know about notional value and um, and every TPA that gets agreed, even TPAs that get agreed uh, independently of a club, they yeah. have to be lodged with the NRL. Yeah, so they're yeah. across every TPA. They're across. Um, the salary of every player, so that's not going to actually do anything to change rorting or anything like that. That's a completely separate issue. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. So yeah, of, of course, the point I I was making for understanding for the listeners out there is if if Cooper Cronk is signed on half of what his market value is, uh, 
question marks are obviously being raised uh, within the NRL building, and they're wondering what are they, what, 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 what are we missing here? What are these TPAs at stake? But that's that's why they've the NRL's got a notional value system. Yeah, so the yeah. so the NRL won't allow any player to get um, signed for. Uh, less than what they say is that player's market value. Mm. Now, does the NRL get notional value wrong? Absolutely. Of course. Like the Jared yeah. Hayne situation, I think most people would say they got that wrong. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Se- $700,000 pay cut um, from one year to the next, and he was on a current contract worth $1.2 million. Mm. So he didn't go to market. He just went to the Eels. So there, was, I, a, there yeah. was a problem with that one that probably tells you that the notional value system isn't perfect. Yeah, I'd be very surprised if the best talent evaluators were based at the NRL and, and not at specific clubs getting paid well to do so. Well, that's true, but that's what the NRL, That's how the NRL gathers their information, though. They, yeah, yeah. They would, they would know uh, roughly what clubs are prepared to offer a certain player, and they'd take that into account when they put in the notional value. Mm. Ben Glover, thank you very much for coming on the splash and uh, and trying to um, clear up this situation a little bit and, and also for making it interesting as well because it can be a very dry subject. I've done my best. <laughs> no, you definitely have. Uh, thanks for joining the splash, mate. Cheers. Yeah, we plan on getting to the bottom of all of this here at foxsports.com.au. So stay tuned. That's all I can say. Uh, and stay tuned on the splash by subscribing via iTunes or even Spotify. Thank you to all our listeners out there that already have. Uh, We thank you for your company on a daily basis, Monday to Friday. Enjoy Fox Sports coverage of the Jeff Horn undercard tonight at the website. Uh, Enjoy the Jeff Horn, Gary Corcoran fight itself. Uh, And until tomorrow on the splash, that's a wrap. 